Good morning. I'm going to read Matthew 6, 25, 34. You can follow along in your pew Bible if you'd like. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I've been doing this for a while now, preparing sermons, and I'm just, I'm constantly struck by how current the Bible remains. How contemporary this is. I mean, this, uh, this is an anthology, like a collection of books. And all of them were written between like 19 and 3,500 years ago. They're really, really old. But I'm constantly finding stuff in here that that speaks to issues that that I go through and that I know things that we are dealing with just on a day-to-day basis. It's amazing how just contemporary, up-to-date, right on the money, the Bible is. And today's passage is certainly no exception as Jesus begins to teach us about anxiety, about worry. Um, All of us in one way or another, can understand worry and anxiety is something we all deal with, some more than others. Like, for example, there was, this, there was this woman who hadn't slept well in about 15 years because she was so plagued with worry that someone was going to break into their house while they slept. She would ask her husband to make sure the doors were locked. That didn't do her any good. She had to get up and go do it herself and check the locks. And then she would check the windows to make sure they were locked. That still didn't help. Every time the cat ran around and she could hear it, she was convinced somebody was downstairs breaking into their house. There was a burglar. Um, Every time the furnace kicked on, it gave her a start. She hadn't slept well for 15 years until finally one night she hears a noise. Only this time her husband heard it too. And it sounded suspicious. So he got up and he went downstairs. And sure enough, while he's still on the stairs, he sees an actual burglar in their house. 
And, and, and he's surprised to see the burglar, and the burglar's really surprised to see him. And the burglar gets scared, and the burglar tar- starts to take off. And the man says, oh, wait, 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 wait. Before you go, I want you to come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been expecting you for 15 years. We, you're finally here. Now, I know that's just a joke, but uh, all of us can understand worry and anxiety uh, at least somewhat. It's hard to imagine finding a timelier message than this one. Anxiety is a major concern for millions of people. I know, you know, in a crowd this size, it's just statistically speaking, I know some of you just deal with worry and anxiety in a, in a, in a very just real and foundational way in your life. Uh, I, am, I am sensitive to that. I know that that is a very real struggle. And I hope that's what you do with anxiety is struggle against it. One thing that bothers me just a little bit about the general conversation around anxiety that I hear taking place in society today is when I hear anxiety spoken about so much just like as something someone just has. I know there are anxiety disorders that people just have. But I think too often anxiety is talked about. It's just something I have, like like my crooked pinky, right? You see that thing? Like I can, I can try all I want. It's just crooked, right? That's just something I have, right? I have to adapt. I learn to grip with my other fingers because that, that dude's just, just crooked. It's like how... Uh, I part my hair in a cul-de-sac, right, if you've ever noticed that. Right? It's just something I have, right? Just learn to deal with it. Um, sometimes, I, too often, I hear anxiety talked about like that. I just have it. Like I'm ravaged by worry, by anxiety. It gets to the point where it starts to control my behavior and but I just have it. I've learned to deal with it. It's just like it's just who God made me. The problem I have with that is it's not, that's not Jesus' view of anxiety at all. Jesus apparently viewed, some, viewed anxiety as something to fight, something that could be dangerous, something that's not his desire for us to live with. There's an author, I don't know who this guy is, but I really like this quote that I came across when studying for this passage. Arthur Roche said this, Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Again, I don't know who this guy is, but I love that description of anxiety. It's a thin stream of fear that runs through the mind. And if I encourage that fear, it'll cut a deeper channel and more of my thoughts get drained into and become um, anxious thoughts. Now, if you read that and think, wait a second, I don't encourage my anxiety. I just have it. But I don't encourage it. I don't like it. And I sure don't encourage it. Don't be too sure. You know how we encourage our anxiety? Here's one good way. If you spend time explaining your fears and your worries to someone else to convince, sort of convince them of that you're right to think the way you're thinking, 
If you're trying to convince someone else of the, the logical nature of your worry, you're encouraging them to believe it. You're encouraging you to believe it. I think we encourage our anxiety all the time. And that's when it does become self-feeding, compounding. It can begin to control parts of my behavior. It can even become debilitating at times. And in today's passage, Jesus is going to tell us really, really clearly not to worry. Not to have anxiety. Sometimes it's hard to tell what the main idea of a passage is. You ever do that? You ever read a passage of scripture and think, what was that even all about? This is not one of those times. Okay, In 10 verses, Jesus uses the word for worry or anxiety, same word, six times in 10 verses. Four of them sound like this. Do not worry. Why do you worry? Do not worry, and then do not worry. Are you catching a main a recurring theme here in 10 verses? Jesus doesn't want us to worry. Just so we know what we're, what we're talking about, uh, the Greek word that keeps coming up, um, merimnao is the, is the Greek word or the, the base, the main form of the, of the verb. For it can be translated worry, it can be translated anxiety, different translators do that, and it's fine either way. Here's what it is. Jesus is talking about that feeling of, of being threatened by something that is not yet present. Uh, I feel like there's this threat. I feel like there is this, um, uh, this problem. I, I feel like there's a peril, a menace, a hazard that is imminently possible, even though it's not immediately present. That's what Jesus commands us not to have. This, this passage makes it really clear that anxiety is not from God, and it's not. Anxiety, worry, is a tool uh, used by our three-headed enemy. The world, our flesh, and the devil. And our enemy uses our worry, our anxiety, to control us, to steal our joy, to... Um, to ruin our testimony, to make us less useful than we should be, make us ineffective. Now, here's what I don't want to do. What I don't want this morning is to feel like I'm just up here like kind of shouting at you and wagging my finger at you and telling you, you stop worrying, right? God doesn't like it. I don't want to do that for several reasons. First, that's not what Jesus does at all. And I'm, I'm teaching you Jesus' words here. Uh, second, that doesn't work. It's not that easy to just quit worrying. Uh, another reason, I, 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 you'll just leave here angry at me. And probably I'll give you worry about your worry. <laughs> Right? I'll, I'll give you anxiety, anxiety. Right? If I convince you that anxiety is wrong and God doesn't like it, you can walk out of here just being more worried that you have all this worry. Right? God doesn't like it and I still have it. Um, well, this is going to take us two weeks. There's, there's so much in this passage that I decided just this week to 
to cut this into two sermons. I know next week's Thanksgiving, the weekend after Thanksgiving, um, the internet will still exist and you can get uh, next week's sermon if you don't happen to be here. I would encourage you to listen to it if you're here this morning, which you are. Uh, Here's why. What we're going to do this week is I'm going to go through six reasons uh, or six things that anxiety is. Or six things that anxiety does. I'm going to call them six truths about anxiety. Some of these are goals that your enemy has for, for wanting you, to, for encouraging you to be anxious, to worry. Because I, and this is important, I, I want us to see that anxiety in itself is a problem. This is different I think, than the general conversation about anxiety, which in a lot of places is there's nothing wrong with it. It is just the way I am. I just have to adapt and deal with it. Again, the problem I have with that is Jesus. His word says this should be fought. But like anything else, we will not try to fix something that we do not know is a problem. I don't care what the issue is. If I don't think it's a problem, why will I try to fix it? Most of the time, I think, when we are anxious, when our anxiety spikes, when we are worried, the thing we are worried about we see as the problem. We fail to see our worry as a problem. And according to Jesus, it is. So this week is all about seeing anxiety for what it is, for the problem that it is. Unfortunately, I'm not going to give you too much today on what to do about it. That's next week. All right, let's jump in. These are all from this passage. I'm not going to teach through verse by verse, but remember, uh, we're going to have another week on this same passage. So if I skip uh, something, especially, you know, a very famous verse, you'll come back next week, I guess, and you'll see uh, the rest of it. All right, six things that anxiety is or that it does, six goals the enemy has for having you feel anxiety. I think they build one on another. We start at the very beginning, the very, in the very first few words of the verse 25, we learn this, anxiety is very often a product of misplaced hope. Anxiety is a, is a product or a byproduct of misplaced hope. Here's where I see that. The first, maybe the first word, depending upon your translation, or the first few words, I have them underlined on the screen in this translation, they're easy to skip over, but they're really important, because this is where Jesus tells us why he has started teaching about anxiety. Jesus says in this translation, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried. There's a reason Jesus started teaching about worry, and the reason he started teaching about worry is what he just got done teaching. That was last week's sermon for us. What Jesus just got done teaching was this the section where Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And he said, when you get your eyes stuck on things in this world, it makes your eyes bad, it makes your soul dark, Uh, And and you can't serve God and things in this world. Something's going to be the boss. Something's going to have the controlling influence over you. And he says, oh yeah, and that's why I'm going to start talking about worry. So there's a connection. This worry passage is a continuation of the 
treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven passage. What's the connection? Um, when I begin to store up treasures on earth, and I get my eyes focused on things of this earth, and I ask things of this earth to make me who I am, to give me what I want to have, to, to feel how I want to feel, anxiety is sure to follow. You know why? Because anxiety happens anytime I put my hope on something I can lose. Anytime I put my hope uh, and my heart onto something, some earthly thing that is temporary, right? It's all, last week we said, it's all kindling and worm food. And when I put my hope, attach it to things in this world, my heart knows I could lose that. And that gets scary. And anxiety is a, is a natural result. It doesn't have to be financial things, though. Anything. And when I fix my hope on um, being impressive, on achievement, uh, on other people's uh, opinion of me, or on wealth, on power, on whatever it is, or any of those things as they pertain to my children, my, my children's achievement, my children's health, my children's acceptance by others. I can, those things can be lost. My heart knows that's true. And when my hope is there, the anxiety is sure to follow because I'm scared I might lose what I treasure. Um, in verse 28, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but Jesus asks a really important question. Why do you worry? Now, in that context, he's talking about uh, clothes, what people wear, and what you eat. Now, when Jesus is talking about what, why do you worry about what you'll wear, he, Jesus is not talking about the 14th pair of designer jeans. He's talking about somebody worrying about whether or not they have like adequate clothing for the winter and enough to eat. Those are pretty like solid worries, right? <laughs> I mean, nobody would say that's, that those are trivial. But there's just examples. Jesus knows. He's using like the most foundational things we could worry about so that everything else is included. Okay? And I think it's really helpful. I think Jesus wants us to ask this question. Why do I, why am I worried right now? Why am I anxious about this? And then in parentheses, I think this connected question is really important to ask. What is it that I stand to lose? Why am I worried? At the, at the basis level, what is it that I'm afraid I will, I will lose that's causing this anxiety? Because many times I think if we do this, we will find we have our hope set on something that maybe God wouldn't want our hope set on. We're on that in a bit. Like I said in the singing time this morning, the best thing about being a Christian is that we have a living hope that, that, that will never die or fade and, and no matter what happens in this world, our real hope won't fade and it's not going anywhere and I'm being preserved for it. 
I think very often, most often, anxiety is a result of misplaced, misplaced hopes. Second truth about anxiety. Still in verse 25. Anxiety narrows our focus. Uh, John Nolland in his, his Greek Testament commentary on Matthew, he wrote this about anxiety, and it's so true. He said, anxiety tends to get all-consuming. The scope of life narrows under its pressure. You know this to be true. You think about this. When your anxiety spikes, how many things are you worried about? What is the focus of your life when your anxiety is high? It's that one thing. Anxiety narrows our focus. It gives us tunnel vision. Read with me Jesus' words thinking about that. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. (laughs) Everything. About what you'll eat or what you'll drink or for your body as to what you'll put on. Isn't there more to life than whatever it is you're worried about? In this case, the body and clothing. Isn't there more to life than what I'm worried about right now? You want another helpful question to ask yourself when your anxiety spikes? First, what is it that I'm worried about? What is it I stand to lose? And then the follow-up question is, is, am I making my whole life right now about this? Because anxiety narrows our focus when probably God doesn't want it. We're focused on something that probably isn't to be ultimate in our life. Most often. Anxiety sucks our focus. It makes our focus one thing, usually a a temporary, non-ultimate thing. And then you know what our heart starts telling us? When our anxiety spike and we've got tunnel vision, we're focused on this one thing, our anxiety says, you'll never be happy until you know how that thing turns out. You'll never have peace until you get that thing fixed. And that thing has, but that's a treadmill. Because we can go get that thing fixed and guess what we will do? Find something else. And our heart will tell us again until you know how that turns out. You can't have peace. Again, this is a continuation of last week's passage. Last week, Jesus said this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is diseased or sick, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here's what Jesus was saying. When you get your eyes stuck on something, a treasure in this world, it makes your soul dark. This week in the anxiety passage, he says sort of the opposite's also true. When you get that darkness of that anxiety, it can make your eyes bad. It makes your eyes focus on on one thing that, that God does not want to be the focus of your life can poison our eyes and narrow our focus. When Jesus would say, we're supposed to ask ourselves, isn't there more to life than whatever this is? And that brings us to the third thing. The third truth about anxiety is anxiety robs us of purpose and joy. Anxiety robs us of purpose and joy, not just in the way it makes us feel, Of course I don't have joy. I've got all this anxiety. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Um, This is verses 26 through 30. I couldn't fit them all on the screen there. I've I've left, for room's sake, I've left stuff out. But this is where Jesus famously uses the example of uh, birds 
and like wild pastures, prairies, uh, to make this example. Okay? Uh, don't worry, birds don't worry, pastures don't worry, and God takes care of them. Now this can seem like a really silly argument. <laughs> if we don't understand Jesus' point, this can seem really silly. In fact, uh, you try this. Next time you know somebody is really worried about something, walk up to them and say, hey, I want to let you know, birds don't worry, and grass doesn't worry, and God takes care of them. All right, you hang in there. You know what, you know what they will think? Yeah, well, birds have bigger brains than you, so get out of here with that nonsense. Right? It can seem like what Jesus is saying is, you be clueless as a bird, ignorance is bliss, Right? Well, you know, to me, if I'm worried about something, I feel like birds don't have the capacity, they don't have foresight to be worried. Right? They, they can't even see that there's glass on our living room window. Right? You ought to worry that glass has been invented while you're flopping around down there on the sidewalk outside our house. Should have been worried about that. That's not Jesus' point. He's not saying be clueless, be ignorant. Here's what, here's what I think his point is. You know, remember, this is told to people who, you know, they didn't have TV. They didn't have the internets. Um, you, know what they, you know what they did for enjoyment? They looked at what God had created, doing what God created it to do, and they enjoyed how beautiful it was. And Jesus said, you know those... Like bird watching, like today, if anybody's a bird watcher, they're just, I mean, sorry, but you're kind of weird. That's your thing. But back then, it's like, hey, you know the, the stuff you consider beautiful, the birds and the fields? Like, they're beautiful because they do what God created them to do. Here's what that has to do with worry. Um, sparrows aren't depressed because they're not eagles. Uh, doves are not been out of shape because they, because they don't have the colors of orioles and peacocks. Um, robins aren't stressed because they don't fly as high and as fast as falcons, right? They also don't blow 28 to 3 leads in the Super Bowl like falcons, but that's something different. The Flowers do flower things, birds do bird things, and it's beautiful when they, they, they just do what they are, what they are to God's glory, and it's beautiful. You see, for us, this is where Jesus says, why do you worry, by the way? Why do you worry? Because very possible, it's very possible that the reason you worry is because you're very aware that God may not do, in this area you're worried about, God may not do what you want at the level you want it. You're like, you're like the dove who wishes he was an eagle, which doesn't happen. My opinion here, this didn't come from anybody else, but anxiety often results from this conflict between my desired positions and circumstances and my created purpose. 
See, God might want me to be this, have this, live in this, be like this. But sort of, I want to be this. I want to have that. I want to be like that. And at some level, deep down inside, I know God might not do that when that's what I want. And that gives me anxiety because it's just not, it's not what I want. It's not adequate. And you know what I've done? I have traded off the joy that comes from where God put me fulfilling my purpose that he had in my life and enjoying that. I've traded that off for the anxiety, worrying about what he hasn't given me, what he may not do. I don't get the joy that comes from enjoying this stage, this station, this season of life. I don't enjoy this meal with this person. I'm too bit out of shape that I'm not having that meal with those people. I don't enjoy like the, the, the way God has provided for me because I've been out of shape about ways he hasn't. Oftentimes, I, I need to realize, it's healthy to realize, I'm not anxious because God is holding out on me. I'm anxious because I'm refusing to enjoy how God has provided for me. That's how anxiety robs me of my purpose and my joy because I spend my purpose chasing what he hasn't. And I've traded that joy for enjoying what he has given for anxiety over what he hasn't. Which brings us to the fourth truth about anxiety. This one from a commentator um, named Robert Mounts. He calls anxiety practical atheism. And what he means by that, I'm not saying that if you have, you deal with anxiety that you don't believe in a God. That's that's not what he means. Practical atheism, it means that anxiety is acting like, feeling like God's not going to do good by me. (laughs) It sounds harsh. And I probably have offended you if you deal with anxiety. But again, read with me Jesus' words, thinking about this, what the real problem is. Verse 30, this is the end of the birds and grass thing. He said, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow it's thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Don't worry then about these things you're worried about. What, the problem's a faith problem. At the, at the, the basis, like bedrock level, anxiety is a faith problem. It's a failure to believe either that God's in control or that God will do good by me. That God will give me what I need. Or it's a failure to believe that what God will give me is in fact good enough. A lot of our anxiety is is this belief that God's idea of what's good for me isn't really good enough for me. We'll talk about this next week. 
stepping on next week, but this is why. Everything that's, any sin problem, any problem in our attitudes and behaviors that we want to get rid of, it has to be replaced. It can't just be quit. Anxiety has to be replaced with faith and trust. Trust that God is in control and he's good. And it has to be replaced with faith and trust because it's a faith problem. Fifth truth about anxiety from this passage. Anxiety damages uh, our testimony. When I act like I just described in number four, when I act like when I have pre- this practical atheism, when I act like God won't take care of me, God's not in control, um, when, I, when, I, when I don't think what he gives is, is adequate, I am a Christian, but my hopes have been pinned on things that I can lose. So my hope and my joy depend on my circumstances, and they go up and down with my circumstances. My testimony for Jesus Christ is damaged. And it can be ruined, to be real honest. I read from First Peter this morning. A huge part of our testimony is this. Because our hope is a living hope, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It is reserved in heaven for you and you are being preserved for it. And, and you, you will get what is stored up for you. That gives us a buoyancy in life that, that should not go up and down with our circumstances. I'm not saying we don't get sad. I'm not saying things don't hurt. But our hope isn't crushed. Then what happens, Peter says in his book, when we go through these trials that would crush other people's hopes and dreams and we are still buoyant, Peter says people will ask about this hope that's in you. What, what is it with you? You just got that diagnosis. You just lost that job. You just had this. Your kids did that. How can you still, I still sense there's joy in you. Well, let me tell you about where my hope really is. I explain the gospel. Now, Jesus says in verse 32, when we have anxiety, we're just like this, this translation says the pagans. Others say the real word is the Gentiles. When Jesus' day, the Gentiles all worshiped weird gods and they were trying to please the spirits and do all this stuff. Jesus said, when your anxiety is up, when, when your circumstances control your joy, you're no different to people, to other people. You know what we look like then? We look like we don't have any better hope than they have. We look like our, what we say is our hope isn't any truer than their hope and doesn't do any more good. And then we start to hear things like this. Oh, Christians are fine until something goes wrong. Until they don't get what they want, then they're just like the rest of us. A- anxiety can, can make us look hopeless. It just makes us look like our hopes are on things they had not to be on. Okay, last one. I'm taking this one out of order because I wanted to end with this. 
The sixth truth about anxiety is what you already know to be true. is just that anxiety doesn't do a bit of good. Worry doesn't do a bit of good. Jesus says it this way. Which one of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? What's the answer to that question? Nobody. It doesn't do any good. Man, oh man, you knew that when you walked in here. But Jesus mentioned it, so I will too. In fact, not only does it not add hours to our life, what does it do? It subtracts. It subtracts. These are the six truths about anxiety. This is why anxiety is a problem. Here they are. Anxiety is the result. It results when we place our hope on things we can lose. It narrows our focus. And it makes the course of our life, my life right now, about one thing that I feel like I have to fix. Like that's the only problem and it ignores that the anxiety itself is a problem. Third, it robs me of my purpose. It robs me of joy. Fourth, anxiety is practical atheism. It's it's living like I don't believe God is in control or will do good by me. Fifth, anxiety damages our testimony for Christ. And sixth, it just doesn't do any good. Now, I really don't, I regret, I guess, that I'm leaving you for a whole week right here. Because I'm not going to tell you anything to help. (laughs) Except it it does help to begin to understand my anxiety is a problem itself. Whether I get these other issues fixed or not. I think it's important. We'll never fix something we don't think is a problem. And so I think it's, it's valuable. Um, it's important. I have, I have prayed for you, especially those of you who really struggle with worry and anxiety. I have prayed for you this week. Not by name, because I don't know all of you. And I'm praying, this week I prayed that God will help you see that that anxiety is something he wants you to fight. You don't have to live under the control of that anymore. And maybe this will help you see where your, where your hopes have been. It's caused anxiety, how it's narrowed your focus. And so you can say, why am I worried? What do I stand to lose? And isn't there more to life than this? So that I don't live like I don't believe God will do good by me so that others can see the hope that is in me. And if nothing else, because I worry, will do no good anyway. Does that make sense? I come back next week, and I'll give you some more practical things to help. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for, uh, for caring enough about us You sent Jesus to come get so acquainted with us that he could see our real problems. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you pointed this out as a problem. Because we wouldn't know if you hadn't told us. But you have. And I pray that you would help us to see our anxiety as a problem, our worry as a problem. 
Because we, we desire to be controlled by you and not it. We desire the joy and the hope that comes from you. And God, I just pray that you'd give each of us some time to, to pause and be thankful for what you have given, how you have uh, blessed. God, that we might more and more put our hope where it can't sink in the inheritance we have because you died and rose again. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Stand and finish.